Lord, thanks for your goodness, and thanks for your love, and your grace, and your mercy, and thank you so much for your word. Lord, we just ask that uh, you would use your word now to speak to our hearts, and uh, uh, just settle our hearts and our minds to receive from you. Lord, there's so much to receive from you. Help us to just be uh, faithful and diligent to do that today. Guide us and lead us, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. A uh, little clarification while I'm thinking about it. The form back there for the LaGrange conference is like its own thing. That's more of an informational thing. Um, and you can pay at the door. Um, you don't have to, like... Tear off the bottom part necessarily. The other form is, or the other sign-up thing is just so we can have a head count. So that's all they really care about. So sorry about if that's confusion. Um, Second Timothy chapter four uh, is, as we've said the last few weeks, uh, Paul's last letter that we know of, and this being the last chapter of the last letter. Again, I want to, you know, not for the sake of drama, but just for the sake of clarity, emphasize the fact that this is, you know, if you knew that you were going to pen your last words, how significant would they be? Very significant. You wouldn't probably, probably no mention of March Madness, probably no mention of the stock market, probably no mention of a lot of things, right? But they'd be probably, probably mention of, honestly, if I were going to write my last words to somebody, maybe my last words, my last written words to, you know, somebody that's going to hopefully carry on uh, what's near and dear to my heart, then probably I'm going to write a lot about the Lord and people, Right? And that's what Paul's doing here in his last letter. So uh, catch, the, catch the heart of it and, and catch what he's doing here. Um, you know, um, back in chapter 2, verse 2, he's telling Timothy, uh, the things you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul is simply passing along this godliness, passing along uh, doctrine, passing along instruction, passing along encouragement. That's what we're doing today, right? I'm doing it as it's been done for me. Paul is doing it to Timothy, and he's encouraging Timothy to do it to others. And you have opportunities that I don't have to do it to others, and so it goes, right? And it's a beautiful thing when we have something to share, right? And what I want us to know is, We've got something to share. We've got something very, very valuable. We've got a rare treasure to share, and that is the Word of God. And the more it is neglected in society and, frankly, the church, the more of a treasure it really is. Okay? And I think we have... Um, uh, recognized, if you will, that this is a treasure. This is a prize that, we're, that we hold in our laps that we read. And we need to regard it as that. Amen. And so it's a little bit of a heavy chapter. Um, so I came back uh, for the heavy chapter. Is that okay? Nice. I charge you, therefore. Feels heavy already, right? I charge you, therefore. Before God, I've been fired up. You know, I've been waiting for this moment for three weeks. I charge you, therefore, before the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. This word charge is really like the idea of testifying under oath, right? Like there's a courtroom scene, right? Like if you're in a courtroom scene, it's serious, right? You're, I mean, do you pick your nose in the courtroom scene? No, the answer is right. Thank you, Sandy. 
<laughs> we have a purist in the front row. Uh, would that be no? Yeah, that is no. That's correct. That's the correct answer. So this courtroom scene, Jesus is the judge in the courtroom. He says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Here's the reality. Jesus Christ will judge the living and the dead. Past, present, future. Now, that shouldn't be scary to anybody, right? I mean, there's a certain, when you walk in and there's the judge and he's got his robe on or her robe on and, and the whole scene is a little bit intense and, you know, and you're not picking your nose and you're, you got, you know, your, your best A game you can come up with, right? There's a, there's a sense that, like, man, I don't want to mess this up. And yet, and Jesus is the ultimate, you know, standard of righteousness, if you will, the ultimate judge, and yet he's also the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's also the one who died on a cross for us. He's the one that loves us above and beyond what we can ask, what, what we can imagine. He blesses us above and beyond what we can ask or think. He's so good to us, we can't even comprehend it. We just have to accept it. And even at that, I know we go through challenges. We go through trials, and we recognize, and sometimes we say, maybe it doesn't feel like that. But the truth of the Scripture is, and we've got to hang on to the truth of the Scripture, and that is, He is good. He is loving. And He's judge, but all that means is, make sure you're on the right side of Him. Make sure you're on the right side of Him. So he says, I charge you in this courtroom setting. And what's he going to charge us? Preach the word. It's underlined in my Bible. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convict, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Preach the word is our mandate. I cannot emphasize this strongly enough. I cannot emphasize this strongly enough. If I don't preach the word, any departure from preaching the word means that I think my stories and my cute jokes and my uh, whatever, my techniques are more valuable than this. And God help me if I ever think that what I have to say or my opinion has a higher value than the Word of God. Right? So, now we're in church. We're in a church that teaches verse by verse. And so the right answer is, yeah, yeah. preach the Word. But let me just tell you, again, it's a prize. It's a treasure. It's a rare treasure. And too often, and, you know, I don't want to go off necessarily, but I have been waiting for three weeks for the privilege of going off. Too often, we have an agenda that is different than just preach the word faithfully. We might have an agenda like, I want to make the church comfortable. I want to make people not feel uneasy with what I'm going to say. And you know, there's a lot of things in the scripture, if I preach it word by word, have you noticed that sometimes it makes you squirm a little bit? Yeah. And I don't want to do that because then people might not come back. And I want people to come back, and I actually want more people to come, and I want more people to come, and I want more people to come, and I want to fill the church. So I'm gonna, I, think, I think probably I shouldn't talk about sin and judgment and, you know, stuff like that. And there's probably some, some, some dicey things that I should probably stay away from, especially culturally nowadays. And I should probably do this and do that if, I'm, if I really want to fulfill my agenda. Is that what I'm interested in? I do not want to stand before God and say, I did anything other than preach the word. I do not want to stand before God and have him say, so what did you, oh, I told some awesome jokes. Really? I mean, thankfully, we're at a church where I can preach the word and teach some awesome, uh, tell some awesome jokes, right? But hopefully the focus is preaching the word, Right? Preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. I've got to tell you a funny story. 
We're at this, uh, for the record, we just got back from Israel, right? Went with a, a group, a Calvary Chapel group from New Jersey, uh, Calvary Chapel Old Bridge. Uh, Lloyd Poley is the pastor there. Some of you may know him. And uh, it's a long story, but um, um, the time was right for us to go, and, and uh, this seemed, we kind of wanted to go. And, and so anyway, uh, he graciously allowed us to, tag along to his group, um, but, you know, along the way, you know, there's, there's a couple other pastors in the group, and, and uh, you go to each, like, little stop, right, and usually Lloyd will kind of put on his little microphone and give a little talk about the stop, about where we're at, and what it means, and what the biblical reference is, and all this, right, and so we're kind of taking it all in, doing our thing, you know, kind of soaking it all up. He said, he, and there's, you know, there's a crowd of people, there's about a hundred of us on this group, and he says, hey, I'm, Scott, I'm glad I saw you. He says, uh, uh, we're coming up on uh, Beth Shemesh here in a little bit, and um, I want you to teach about it. Beth Shemesh. Let me just pull that out. And I'm like, <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> and I didn't know if he meant like, we're going to come, because I'm just along for the ride, right? I don't know if we're going to Best Shemesh like in three days or in 15 minutes, right? Turned out he was very gracious. He gave me about an hour, right? And, um, and I'm like, you know, we get off the next stop. I think it was lunch. The next, uh, next, next stop was lunch, right? And I'm like... And the kids are coming up, and they're like, what's dad doing? <laughs> Tracy's like, he's going to teach about Beth Shemesh. <laughs> right? And uh, so anyway, I did. And they let me continue the trip. So, uh, But you know, there's something about being ready in season and out of season. Can I tell you that? And honestly, if you know the story about Beth Shemesh, uh, Beth Shemesh is where the Philistines, you may recall, the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant, okay, in a battle. And, they, and the Ark of the Covenant, again, just like Jesus is the judge, right? You don't want to be on the wrong side of the Ark of the Covenant. If you're on the right side of the Ark of the Covenant, everything's cool. Because the Ark of the Covenant was the representation of the presence of God, the, the glory of God. And so anyway, the Philistines didn't want to keep that Ark anymore, so they put it on a cart and had a cow send it off and it shows up at the people of, Jesh, of Beth Shemesh. Anyway, that's the story. And, uh, uh, but they were treating the Ark of the Covenant like it was like this good luck charm. Okay? And the presence of God is not a good luck charm. That's, that's the teaching point. But anyway, it's kind of funny. One of my kids afterwards was like, um, uh, she's like, yeah, I knew right about at that point you were going to talk about as uh, like a good luck charm. Right? Because she's heard all my spiels right? And here's my point. We should all have, like, a bunch of spiels. Does that make sense? If you have a circle of influence, you should have a bunch of spiels. And you should have some biblical spiels, right? Be ready in season and out of season. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Know the word enough that, you know, you might have scrambled a little bit like I did, but know the word enough that it's a part of your life enough that if somebody asks you some kind of biblical question or some kind of that you at least can maybe look it up or you know we, we call it a working knowledge of the scripture it ought to work into your life enough to communicate it to others is that fair preach the word preach the word Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. What does the word do? Convinces. You know, there are those that just need to be convinced. The word of God is very convincing. If you really study it, you know, the truth is, people that don't believe the word of God or don't have a high regard for the word of God have just never studied it. If you study it honestly, you'll be convinced. And you can check me on that. If you're sitting in this room or in the sound of my voice today and you're not convinced, 
Can I encourage you? Don't read the news or some editorial about it. Read the Word. Study the Word. Study how we got this Scripture. Study the, the, um, the, the, the evidence. Study the documents. Study the manuscripts. Study the Word. You'll be convinced. Just like Josh McDowell was. Just like Lee Strobel was. Just like so many people have been. You'll be convinced. Sometimes the Word rebukes, right? Sometimes the Word rebukes. Sometimes the Word tells us to get off of the path we're on and get on a new one. I can't do that. But God's Holy Spirit, through the teaching of His Word, can. So, frankly, it takes pressure off of me, right? I just read the Word. Exhort. Some people may be on the right path, but they need to just be pushed a little bit on the right path. That's called exhort, right? Some people need a little nudge. The Word does all this. With all long-suffering and teaching, the Word does the amazing thing that I believe when the Word is taught according to the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe with all my heart in a supernatural sort of way, I can read these words on this page, and these words and the Holy Spirit in your heart does what He needs to do with those words differently necessarily in each one of us, including me, right? And you may need to be rebuked. You may need to be, I wasn't pointing at anybody over here. You may need to be exhorted. You may need to be convinced. You may need just patience, long-suffering. You need, you, we all need different things, and I can't figure out everybody's situation and try to uh, do surgery on everybody, right? The Holy Spirit can through the simple teaching of the Word. For the time will come, and that time is here. Oh, that time is here. When they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. That time is now. That time is here. Ask yourself, before we rail on them or they, ask yourself, do I read the Word in such a way that I let the Scripture speak to me, or do I try to use the Scripture to support my ideas? Right? Again, I love teaching verse by, I hope, you know, every church doesn't have to do this, but it's what the Lord's put in my heart. If I teach the word Genesis to Revelation, right, then the word speaks to me. If I pick out, you know, I kind of lost my cool with my wife this week, so I think this week we'll talk about Self-control? No. Tithing, that's it. We'll talk about tithing. Right? And next week I'll uh, uh, yell at my kids so we can't talk about, you know, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth but only what's good for building others up according to their need. I can't read that verse. Right? If I take my life and try to speak my life into the Scripture, I'm on shaky ground. If I let the Scripture do surgery on me, that's the point. That's what it's intended to do, right? It's not a, it's not a thing for me to just like tell it what I want it to, tell, to, to say, okay? So, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Be careful about according to your own desires. Now, let me just say also, Psalm 37, verse 4, says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Many of us have heard that verse. Okay? Think about, there's two ways to unpack that verse. Okay? Delight yourself in the Lord, 
and he'll give you that new Corvette. That's the desire of your heart. Right? All you got to do is delight yourself in the Lord. The genie lamp God, right? How many of us have genie lamp gods? I want a new Corvette. Red. Right? So we just run our little genie lamp God. Right? Could it be that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, then He'll give us new desires? He'll give us His desires. Right? And then, as I do that, right, according to my own desires, my desires line up with His desires, and guess what? I just read the Word, and I'm uh, able to endure sound doctrine because I'm letting Him transform my desires. Romans chapter 12 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? I want to be that guy that's transformed. I want to be teachable. And then notice here it says, they will heap up teachers for themselves, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Can I tell you, we're in the age of fables. I recently finished a book that made my skin crawl uh, called um, Live Not by Lies. If you want to read a book, I'll just back up a second. Pontius Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? It's a powerful question. And we need to always answer, ask that question, what is truth? Well, there's a lot of, you know, there's 10 different people that can give you 10 different answers, and the problem is they all claim to be truth, right? And you think about this socially, okay? Bear with me, I'm, I'm nasal today. Think about this socially. I grew up in an era where you believed Walter Cronkite, you believed your school teacher, and you believed your doctor. Because you could. And, you know, you could believe your politician. He might might not agree with you, but you could at least trust his integrity. Am I right? Raise your hand if you grew up in that generation. Come on, 60s. We grew up in that generation. Are we in that generation now? No. Can you believe the news media? No. Can you believe your doctor? It's okay to say no. Say no. <laughs> say no. I'm, I'm telling you this. I'm, I'm, I'm tore up over this. This is a whole other sermon. I know. And it's a rant. <laughs> it's a whole other sermon. Healthcare is so broken. And I can tell you as an insider, healthcare is so broken that you cannot trust it. Life expectancies are going down. The things we're doing are fundamentally broken. And we're too arrogant and narcissistic to say, I wonder if what we're doing could be broken. That's healthcare in America 2023. I said it on record. I said it to you there, Facebook. Okay? Healthcare is broken. You can't necessarily trust your doctor unless he says, Trust me, I'm a doctor. <clears throat> you can't necessarily trust your teacher. Your teacher might have an agenda. You certainly can't trust your politician on either side because everybody's got an agenda. So, what do you trust? The Word of God. I believe, I believe perhaps, and you could, you know, without getting conspiracy, without getting, you know, um, into eschatology and all that kind of thing necessarily. That's not the purpose of this text. I think we're in a, I think we're in a season. Maybe the, maybe the last days. I don't know, but I think we're in a season where, for whatever reason, God is allowing. Everything that's not truth to be recognized as false if we have discernment. And we have truth and we have everything else. And it's almost like, you know, like I say, when I grew up, okay, Walter Cronkite told truth, my teacher told truth, my doctor told truth, my officials told truth, and the Bible told truth. 
Guess what? Now, only the Bible tells truth. Right? But you can hang on that. You can anchor your life on that. And frankly, that's about the only thing you should anchor your life on. Now, let me just say one other thing to people like me, which you guys are all like me. <clears throat> there's a, there's a, a, a thing that, I've, that I notice in myself and in you guys sometimes that we need to be a little bit careful about, right? We need to be a little bit careful when we rant, can you believe they think this? Can you believe they're saying this? Can you believe they're doing this? Right? You ever had one of those conversations? Raise your hand if you ever had one of those conversations. Some of you are honest. Can you believe? Can you believe? Can you believe? Can you believe? Right? Of course I can. Why? The Bible says this time would come. So can I say this? Don't act surprised. Don't act surprised. I think that if we're not careful, that can be just a mechanism of the enemy to get us off focus. Right? We know what we're opposed to. We know what we're against. We know who we're against. We know who the enemy is. The enemy might even be in, our, in this room. We know all of the enemies. We know all of the bad guys. We know all the conspirators. We know everything. And it, if we're not careful, it's a mechanism to take our focus off of the truth. So don't be surprised when these days are here. And they're here. This book I was talking about, uh, Live Not By Lies. Anybody know how many uh, Jews were killed in the Holocaust? Off the top of your head? Six million-ish, right? Anybody know how many um, Christians were killed by communist Russia in the 20th century? Somewhere between 12 and 20 million, some estimate. Now, when we think about a, a religious genocide... If I, matter of fact, if I'd set you up, if I said, what do you think of when you think of religious genocide? You'd, think, you'd say the Holocaust, right? How many of you would have said communist Russia in the 20th century? Raise your hand. A historian. Got a historian in the room, okay? You might have said communist, but most of us would say the Holocaust, the Jewish Holocaust. Why don't we know about communist Russia in, as, in terms of the forefront of our minds? It's, it's really a misunderstood or, or sort of a neglected uh, tragedy of history. And here's the thing that I, that I learned in this book. The way they pulled it off was what the author refers to as totalitarianism, right? If I'm the government and I own you, I can decide who's worth keeping and who's worth discarding, right? That's the simple sad truth. Here's the reality. We are, if we're not careful, a society that's headed in that direction. Now, am I a conspiracy theorist? Not necessarily. Am I aware? Yeah. If you stand for the truth, will you sometimes be labeled a conspiracy theorist? Yeah. If you, labeled a, if you're, if you stand for the truth, will you be uh, regarded as narrow? Yes. Did Jesus say, I'm the way, the truth? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. Yes. Is that narrow? Yes. Did he say enter by the narrow gate? For wide is the path and wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction? And many are those who find it. Did he say that? Yes. Are you going to be accused of being narrow if you stand for the truth? Yes. Is that going to, do you feel this little bit of pressure in our society today? Yes. Verse 5. But you... Be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So we need to stand like never before. I want to read, this is uh, Joshua chapter 5 is a great little reminder. Joshua chapter 5, starting in verse 1. For historical review, this is the, uh, the people, the Jewish people, they left Egypt, they were in the desert for 40 years, and they're getting ready to come into the promised land, and 
Chapter 5, so it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we crossed over, that their heart melted. There was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel, right? When Rahab, remember Rahab the uh, harlot? When, when they came in and, and, and spied out with her, um, she said... Um, she said, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. What's the best way to fight a lie? Truth. What's the best way to fight darkness? Do you walk in a dark room and say, man, I hate this darkness. I can't believe this room is so dark. What do you do in a dark room? You turn on the light. And you stop whining about the darkness. Right? What do we need to do in this world today? We need to shine the light. Right? We need to demonstrate that God is faithful, that God takes care of his children, that God loves his children. We need to say it and demonstrate it. So, but you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Can I tell you this? You're going to go through afflictions if you stand for the truth. Plain and simple. Sometimes from Christians, sometimes from the world. You be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Can I tell you this? We should all be evangelists. Well, it's easy for you to say you're a pastor. No, it's easy for anybody. Okay? I'm, I'm making it easy for you. All right? You got more than a carpenter books back there. Right? Just hand them a book. Right? Memorize two verses. I told you to uh, be ready in season and out of season. Here you go. You ready? Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God right? And he made it easy on us. Like, he gave us another 23, right? Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. That's what we earn. All of, who, who earns it? Who earned death? Everybody who sinned. Who sinned? All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You got the gospel message. You've got the tools to do the work of an evangelist. And if that's not enough, you know what you can say? I was lost, but now I'm found. I remember years ago, I had a friend. He's now a faithful believer. And I remember he would go, uh, years ago, this has probably been over 20 years ago. He and I were talking, and I was sharing with him about the Lord. And he's telling me about, and he was all about partying and, you know, all that. And I said, here's what you don't realize. I've lived your life, and I've lived my life. You've only lived your life. I can tell you what Jesus did in my life. Right? We can do that. We can do that. And so, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Whatever it is, fulfill it. And we all have a ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, Paul says, and the time of my departure is at hand. He said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The idea of a drink offering is first mentioned in Genesis chapter 35, where Jacob pours out an offering to the Lord, like pours out a liquid offering, right? Either Generally, in, throughout the Old Testament, it was either wine or oil, Okay where, like, you know, I would just pour it out as, a, as sort of an offering to the Lord. And Paul says, I myself am being poured out as an offering. Think about liquid. Where does liquid go where, when you pour it out? All over the place. Downhill. <laughs> right? Do you contain it? Do you control it? Do you legislate it? Right? The idea is that of surrender. I'm, if I'm surrendered, I'm poured out as a drink offering, I'm surrendered to the Lord, and I can, say, I can say with integrity, Lord, do whatever you want in my life. 
Now, we're all on a journey in that, right? I'm on a journey in that, right? You know, uh, frankly, I say, you know, we all have that thing. Lord, do whatever you want in my life except for this one thing. I want to kind of maintain a little bit of control on that, please, right? But the idea of a drink offering is we're just poured out. And in order to do that, we have to trust that God is good. And we have to trust that God has our best interests at heart. And if we know the truth of the scripture, we know that we can trust that. Right? Lord, I'm all yours. Just do with me whatever you, you would. Right? And he will do that. And he will do it uh, in a way that we could never do. Paul says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Wouldn't that be great to be able to say? Yes. Right? Yes. We had a couple people this week that could say that. Right? That's cool. Yes. Frankly, that's cool. We can say, if we can say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, let me just say this. Paul's talking about his finish. How did Paul start? Oh, by murdering a few Christians. Throwing them in prison. Wreaking havoc on the church, the book of Acts tells us. Wreaking havoc on the church. That's how Paul started. Does it matter at this point? That's covered by God's grace. I can I tell you this? Finishing well is vital. Finishing well is vital. You know, I see, I see too often people that don't finish well. A lot of people crash and burn along the way. And we need to finish well. You say, well, it's hard because, you know, I did this and this and this. Paul didn't, Paul's not talking about that in this verse. Right? Paul's talking about how he's finishing. And we all have regrets on somewhere along the line, me included. But today is the beginning of our finishing process. Right? And finishing, can I say this, does not happen passively. Finishing does not happen passively. I be, I'm, I'm a full believer in the sovereignty of God, believe me. Okay? And I'm not diminishing the sovereignty of God in any way, shape, or form. But I will say this. Finishing strong does not happen passively. Finishing strong happens when we have a determination to stay strong in the Word, to stay strong in fellowship, to stay dependent upon the Holy Spirit, to stay surrendered to the Lord. That's what leads us to a strong finish. And my heart for myself and all of us is that, we can, is that we'll be able to say one day, I have fought the good fight. We could, look at our, we could look death in the eye and say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. The time of my departure is at hand. That'd be a great thing to be able to say. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul's welcome into heaven is going to be glorious beyond imagination. Now for these last verses, I said, you know, if you're talking about, if you're talking at the end of your, the last thing you write in your life, you're going to talk about the Lord and you're going to talk about relationships. And so now he goes into this final section about relationships. He says, be, til be diligent to come to me quickly for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. So Paul has this longing for companionship. You notice this? Are relationships important? Yes. Yeah. One of the things we learned in our broken healthcare system, did I mention that the healthcare system is broken? <laughs> One of the things we learned over the last two years in our broken healthcare system is we thought that we could like stick people in a closet for a couple months and that way they don't breathe on each other and there's no adverse consequences. What social isolation do to a human being? You can study this. You can study the data. You can study the data. It's worse than smoking. Yeah. Right? For your physical health. <coughs> Much less your emotional well-being and all of that. Right? 
Does social isolation work? No. No. In hindsight, if we were an honest, if we were an honest society, and not, not, and we were able to admit our mistakes and and just kind of learn from our mistakes, right? We've been told that we to trust the science. What is science? Science is you have a hypothesis, you test it, and then you adjust. That's science, right? Well, the science of social isolation it, it would be we tried it, it was a mistake, we should be careful not to do it again, right? My fear is that we're too narcissistic to admit that. That's another story. But the reality is, Paul, at the end of his life, he wants companionship. This guy, Demas, forsook him. Forsook him. Uh, Colossians, at the end of Colossians, mentions, uh, you know, in, in the, the various greetings, he says, Demas greets you. So Demas was with him as a companion um, when he wrote the book of Colossians, but not now. You know, rejection is painful. Can I tell you this? If you've experienced rejection, uh, so did Paul. Let me just say that. If you've experienced rejection, so did Paul. So did Jesus. Right? You're in good company. We're not exempted from that. And what did Paul, why did Demas forsake him? Because he loved this present world. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. This present world has a lot of traps. Can I warn us all, please? Can I tell us all, please, as passionately as I can, this world has a lot of traps. James 1.27 says this, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. If you want to finish strong, don't let the world stain you. If you want to finish strong, don't let the world stain you. It stained Demas and caused Demas to forsake Paul. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with, with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. I love this. So Luke is the only one with him. Notice here, he says, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me in ministry. Remember Mark? Remember John Mark? Barnabas' cousin. Review the story. On Paul's first missionary journey, he and Barnabas and John Mark go off on a missionary journey, right? And, you know, a little way, little way into the journey, John Mark gets cold feet, he gets homesick. Uh, no doubt it would have been a difficult journey, right? Just to just the, the danger and the risk of shipwreck and the challenge. And, you know, there would have been a lot of challenge on that journey, right? So John Mark gets cold feet. He goes back, he, he goes back home. He bails. And then comes time for the second journey, right? Paul and Barnabas said, hey, let's go on a journey again. Barnabas says, sure, I'll go grab John Mark. And Paul says, no, you won't. He bailed out on us the first time around. And Barnabas says, yes, I will, because Barnabas is the son of encouragement. He wants to nurture this young man. Paul says, no, you won't. So Paul and Silas go one way, and Barnabas and John Mark go the other way. Scripturally, interestingly, Scripture doesn't really tell us. You know, whenever you see a good fight, especially in the church, you want to know who's on the right side and who's on the wrong side, don't you? The Bible doesn't tell us. And I've heard pastors speculate way too long. I think, most importantly, we need to know that the Bible doesn't tell us. Right? So anyway, something happened in the interim, and by the end of Paul's life, Mark is the guy he's asking for. Why? Because he's useful to me for the ministry. Right? That's a great story. You ever found yourself in a weird relationship? Anybody? Any weird relationships out there? There are weird relationships. There are past weird relationships in this room. Right? God can mend them.
I've seen him do it in ways that no human being could ever do. No counselor could negotiate. No pill could make you chilled enough to interact. I've seen him do it miraculously. So, always remember John Mark in the context of your weird relationships. And at the end of his life, Paul asks for basic warmth, a cloak, and his scriptures. What a picture. Isn't that cool? I'm in a prison cell. I'm in a prison cell. Those prisons were ugly. We, in our, um, on our trip, one of the stops was Caesarea. Now, Paul's in a Roman prison at this point. It's probably worse. But there's a, there's a little uh, archaeologic dig, what they think might have been uh, where Paul was imprisoned at Caesarea. And it's creepy. It's creepy. It's like a, you know, half of an elevator sized in this, you know, underground dungeon kind of a thing. Right? So Paul's in this setting. Paul's in a cold, dark, damp Roman prison. He said, can you bring me a coat and my scriptures? What a picture. He said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. So here's the other side of that. There are some people in this world that we just need to stay away from. We need to be aware of them. We need to lay low from them. And we need to stay away from them. Right? There are people that, there are people that would seek to harm us. And we need to, we need to be wise. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. So Paul's graciousness here, you know, I, I love the similarity here between Paul and Jesus, right? Who was hanging around Jesus to defend him when he was being tried? Nobody. But the Lord, verse 17, stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Of, out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So, just a couple points on this. Number one, when we love the companionship of people, for sure, but even when people disappoint us, God doesn't. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me, he says so that his ministry was effective, right? And he says also he was delivered out of the mouth of the lions. If I asked you a trivia question, right? Who got delivered out of the lions? You'd have said what? Daniel. We all know Daniel, right? Well, lo and behold, if you got a trivia question and it's A, Daniel, B, Paul, C, all of the above, the answer is C, right? He's delivered out of the mouth of the lions. And yet, Paul's going to be executed. Can we get our heads around that for a minute? Okay. God is able to do any miracle he wants on our behalf. Is that true? Yes. Can God deliver us out of the mouth of the lion? Yes. Absolutely. Are we entitled for God to deliver us from anything we decide God needs to deliver us from? No. I think it's a great picture here. Because sometimes we tell God what to do. We claim that God needs to not do that because I'm entitled to better treatment than that. That's, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. God can do that. But if I'm a drink offering, then I say, not, I say like Jesus did in the garden, not my will but yours be done. If I'm truly a drink offering, I don't tell God what to do in my life. 
right? I can ask God. It's okay to ask according to God's will, right? Sometimes we get delivered from the mouth of the lions, and sometimes we get our head chopped off. That was Paul's experience. And both are the reality of Scripture. Was Paul better off, ultimately, when he got his head chopped off? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen, he says. So God can do whatever he wants. But God does it within the context of his will, not my will be done. Greet Prissa, Priscilla, and Aquila, and the household of Anisiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. Do your utmost to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. And so Paul, again, it's all about relationships. And then he closes, the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. He ends this letter and his life with grace. Isn't that a great picture? He ends this letter and his life with God's grace. So, we need to finish strong. That's been the message. I know you've heard that the last couple of weeks. We need to finish strong. We need to stay close to the Word. We need to preach the Word. We need to not give, uh, give in to the cultural narrative of self-love and self-determination and whatever the agenda of the day is. We need to pour ourselves out to God like a drink offering. And we need to be able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And the only way we can do that is by, how does it close? God's grace. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for your amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. That saved a murderer like Paul. That saved so many of us. And Lord, we are so thankful for your grace. We're thankful that you give us all that we need to navigate this journey of life. You've given us all we need for life and godliness. You've given us your spirit. You've given us your word. Lord, help us to stay close to the word. Help us to preach the word. Help us to be ready in season and out of season. Help us to do the work of an evangelist and fulfill our ministry. Help us to be able to say that we've fought the good fight. We've finished the race. We've kept the faith. Lord, help us to be totally surrendered to you day by day. And we'll give you all the praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody have an awesome, awesome week.